In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talked to Justin Jackson about how to find new product ideas, how to find customers for your products, and marketing for developers. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 42. Hey everyone, just a quick update before we get to the interview. Last week I finally released Refactoring to Collections, the book and video course I've been working on for the past three months that shows you how to use functional programming concepts and collection pipelines to refactor ugly, complex code into a series of simple, elegant transformations. It's a 150-page ebook, a comprehensive set of exercises, over four hours of screencasts, and it also includes the source code to Nitpick CI, which is my SaaS application built in Laravel that's loaded with real-world examples of how to use the ideas from the book and the videos. So last week I had a sale to celebrate the launch that ended on Friday where everything was 25% off, but if you're a fan of this show and somehow missed the launch, For a very short time, you can use the coupon code FULLSTACK2016, that's FULLSTACK2016, to get refactoring to collections at the launch price. So I'm not putting the coupon in the show notes or anything like that. It's top secret just for fans of the show who missed the initial launch. But if you want to check it out, head over to adamwathen.me slash refactoring dash two dash collections and use that code to get 25% off for the next couple days. That's all I got. On to the interview with Justin Jackson. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast, where I talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration. I'm your host, Adam Wathen, and today I'm here with Justin Jackson. How's it going, Justin? I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to chat with you. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, do you mind just kind of giving a brief background, kind of how you got into this whole thing and what keeps you busy? Sure. So... I started uh, working for a software as a service company in 2008 called Mailout and eventually kind of worked my way up to being product manager there. And then um, after that, I decided I wanted to go and work for some other companies and work on some other products. And I was the product manager at Sprintly for about a year and a half. And then uh, Sprintly got sold. And after they got sold, I thought, well, I could go out and get another job, or I could go out and do some more consulting work, which I'd been doing. And I decided to take a little break. And I joke that it's like an early midlife crisis, but I'm, I'm doing this podcast called Mega Maker, where I'm making a hundred things this year. And some of those are software. Uh, and some of them are just completely not related to software at all. And kind of the thesis of the show is that those of us that work with keyboards and screens all day, we need to make our own things. And some of those things can be digital, but I think also some of them should not be digital. And so it's kind of exploring all that stuff, like how can we create new things that are outside of work? Right on. Yeah, I think you made like a burrito or something on there even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like I wanted to get completely out of software. So what would it be like to go? I mean, it's been 15, 20 years since I've worked in a restaurant. And I think the one thing it's given me is perspective. We we sometimes forget, you know, we're working in these air-conditioned offices with standing desks and, you know, I drink a couple espresso a day and we have all this kind of luxury that we take for granted and working in this restaurant for two days, designing this menu item and then actually making it with the kitchen staff and then releasing it uh, on a, on a Friday for a lunch special just gave me perspective. <laughs> like we have it so good. And, uh, you know, it definitely didn't make me want to quit doing software and, <laughs> and work in the restaurant industry, but it did make me realize that I should be grateful <laughs> for what we get to do. Right on, man. So yeah, the reason I wanted to have you on the show was uh, you pretty recently, I guess it was maybe a few months back that you put out uh, Marketing for Developers, the book you've been working on. Yeah, yeah, it was released on October 15th. Okay, yeah, so time flies, I guess, when you're busy. But Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've been, I've been following you via, like, the Product People podcast that you, uh, you know, still occasionally do, and, you know, recently the Mega Maker podcast and uh, the Build and Launch podcast that you did, and uh, just kind of seeing your name in all sorts of places and listening to you talk to people about uh, different things and getting their input on stuff, and I thought it would be cool to uh, kind of turn the tables around a little bit and uh, try and get some advice from you for maybe some of the people in my audience, so... Yeah. 
Love it. So marketing for developers, what kind of uh, made you want to write a book on marketing for developers? Why do you think developers specifically need, you know, a book written for them, teaching them how to market? What's interesting about them as kind of a target market? Sure. So one reason was whenever I pulled the people that were listening to my podcast, subscribed to my email newsletter, following me on Twitter, um, about 75% of my audience was always software developers. And so uh, one of the questions I asked them was, why, <laughs> why are you following my stuff? Like, what, what is interesting about, you know, what I'm talking about? And it all came down to people, uh, software developers that wanted to build their own products and make some sort of independent income from those products, whether it was side income or, you know, trying to make it make a go of it full time. And so that, that was really the big reason was I, I re- recognized that this was a group that uh, I was connected to. And uh, as a product manager, you basically are partnered with developers all day. That's, that is your job is to um, build good relationships with developers and then kind of working alongside them, working towards a goal together. And so based on that experience and the fact that that group was already following me, I thought, okay, let's, let's look at some of the pain points these folks have. And, um, yeah, a a big pain point was, uh, they were building products and then they would email me and say, I just built this thing. How do, how do I get customers for it? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, that was, that was, that was it. It was just like seeing that pattern repeat itself over and over and over again. And, um, started by just like replying to people and, you know, going and checking out their products and then replying to folks and having sometimes, you know, uh, email threads kind of 10, 10 emails long. And in those conversations, there was also patterns and things, reoccurring themes. And I thought, okay, I've got a bunch of pain points here that just keep coming up over and over and over again. It makes more sense for me to compile it all into one resource and that people can kind of consume in one place. And right so on. that became, uh, well, first of all, what I did was I, I just said, well, let's see if I'm right. And I put up a landing page that just said marketing for developers. And I think I said it was a, a book that will teach you how to market your apps, software, and digital products. And then I had an email sign-up form for the waiting list. And that was it. It was like super minimal. <laughs> there was like really not much else on there. And uh, in about a month, maybe, or maybe a little bit more than that, it had about 2,500 people on it. And when you launch a lot of little projects like I do, you kind of see which ones pick up traction faster than others. And that was definitely more traction than I'd seen on a lot of other little kind of newsletters or little projects I'd done before. So I knew there was something there. Right on. So I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit, uh, kind of passively there, but what do you think kind of the biggest mistake developers make when they do this whole kind of, you know, I'm going to build this thing that I think is a cool idea and put together this awesome project. And now I'm going to go try find people to sell it to. Like, how is that different from your process when it comes to, you know, trying to build something that people want? So uh, let me answer with a story because it's, it's very real for me right now. Um, about a year ago, my buddy Marty and I, we live in the same town. We hang out all the time. We said, we got to build something together. Like we're, we're both into products. We're both into like creating things. Let's make something. And so he's a Ruby on Rails developer. And we decided that we were really interested in messaging and text-based user, interva- user interfaces, bots, things like that. And so we built this uh, broadcast SMS tool called Network Effects. And the joke that I tell people is that we basically did everything I say not to do <laughs> <laughs> because we built it around this cool kind of technology that we had uh, that we'd found, but we didn't have a group of people in mind and we weren't targeting a specific problem that that group of people had. And uh, for the podcast, I thought, you know, it would be fun for us to launch network effects as a paid product alongside another product where we actually know the people that we're targeting and we know the biggest pain point they have in their life. And that uh, product is called remoteworkers.club. So we're launching these both basically at the same time. 
and kind of comparing the results. And we're, ba- we're right now we're days away from launching Remote Workers Club, but we have launched Network Effects as a paid product. And <laughs> it, basically things turned out exactly how I anticipated they would. We had some people that signed up that thought it would be kind of a cool thing to try out. But when it came to converting them to monthly paying plans, uh, they said, well, this was just something I was like checking out. We weren't solving a specific pain point for them. And because we didn't know who we were serving and what problem we were solving for them, we have no way of acquiring new customers. And that's the exact script that I see over and over again when people email me is, I've built something cool. How do I find people to pay me for it? It's completely backwards. So the, what I uh, advise in the book is that you start with a group of people. In our case, it's remote workers. What's the biggest pain point a remote worker has? It's hard to find good remote jobs is one. If you have a good remote job and you lose that job, it's hard to find another one. And uh, because we, a lot of us don't live in big markets uh, like Toronto or New York or San Francisco, getting connections uh, you know, via serendipity, like running into people, is a lot harder. And so we understood the pain points of that group, and it made it a, a lot easier to uh, target that, that group and that pain point. We, we knew both of them. We knew where to find those people, and we knew what problem we wanted to solve for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think... Um you know, developers, I think a lot of time fall into like two kind of categories. And I think there's an overlap between it as well. But a lot of people that I know that are developers are developers because they love computers and they love technology and they love making the computer do cool things, you know? And then there's people who love to program because it lets them solve problems and make things easier in their life. And it just happens to be that, you know, in 2016, learning how to program is kind of the most efficient way to, uh, develop the skills that you need to solve problems in your life. You know what I mean? And um, I think I fall into the second category a little bit more than the first one. But a lot of time I find myself like wanting to build something just because I get so much satisfaction out of like, you know, building things and solving problems. But I have a hard time like finding a good problem uh, to solve. Do you have any tips for like looking for problems or looking for pains that people have that you might be able to solve with the software product? Yeah. So the first thing is that it should be a group that you're already part of or um, a community that you're really familiar with because it just makes it so much harder to, first of all, kind of embed yourself in that community if you're not a part of that group already. Um, and it also makes it hard to <laughs> want to show up every day and really listen to those people uh, and see if you can detect any patterns in, you know, maybe some some pain points kind of bubbling to the surface. So as an example, again, one thing I've seen, and I've, I've gotten emails from thousands of developers, and the most common one I get is, hey, I want to build some software for real estate agents. And I don't know why it is, but I get tons of these, specifically software developers wanting to build something for real estate agents. And I think the reason is, I'm just guessing, is that everybody knows a real estate agent. They're like active in every community. Often it's the only kind of small business person uh, an individual will know, you know, like you'll, they're, they're always networking. And so it's easy to meet them. Yeah. And the the problem with that is I'll, I'll usually ask those developers, I'll say, well, do you really like hanging out with real estate agents? (laughs) And they'll go, well, no. And I'll say, do you like want to go to real estate trade shows and conventions? And they'll go, no. And I'll say, do you want to hang out in real estate like forums and subreddits all day? No. Well, if that's the case, it's probably not a good group for you to go after (laughs) because that's really what it takes to find a pain point in a group. You have to hang out every single day with them and you have to be breathing the same oxygen they are and encountering the same things they are and uh, being willing to really, again, listen to what they complain about, what kind of pain points come up over and over again. And the other thing is thinking about this is that we're not just building software, we're starting a business. And when you start a business, you have customers And you should choose some customers you actually like because you're going to be answering their emails or maybe even (laughs) answering their phone calls (laughs) for every single day for the rest of your life. 
so that the first thing is to pick a group. And the, the next thing you want to do is just hang out with them every single day and listen. We're not very good at listening in our culture in general. Um, but if you listen, you'll see uh, patterns in terms of what people complain about. So um, as an example, well, an, a really easy one is that every freelancer complains about getting new clients. That's the hardest part of their job. Sure. And so that right there, if you could figure out a uh, efficient way to get freelancers really great leads or to help them close more leads, then you've got yourself a business. And in a lot of ways, that's what something like Highrise does, right? Sure. The reason people... Uh, freelancers are willing to pay for high rise is that it helps them make more money and uh, save time and maybe even save some money. So you're you're really kind of listening for what is the biggest pain point in this group. And I think that's one thing I'm emphasizing more lately is you can't just choose something that's sort of a pain point or maybe is number five on their list. You really want to choose like what's the biggest pain collectively with this group right now. Uh, another good example of this would be Barometrics. Barometrics does basically SaaS analytics on top of Stripe. And if you've ever tried to calculate things like monthly recurring revenue, churn, and all of those metrics every month, you know how hard it is because it's really complex, actually. You have to track expansion revenue, cancellations, reactivations. So just even like calculating something like churn, which is a super important metric for you to have if you're running a SaaS business, is really hard. Well, Josh Pickford noticed that of the people that were using Stripe for their SaaS businesses, that was the number one problem. And so he built something uh, that solved that problem. But there's other people that have built other things on top of Stripe. Uh, a really common one is um, like notifications. So like that's fairly easy to build something that sends you uh, like a, a, a news feed of Stripe notifications, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's not a huge problem. And actually, most of the, the products I've seen in that genre, like notification streams, have not done very well. Um, it's just not a big problem for most people. It's not something that they really, really want. Um, and it's, and now, it's one of those things, too, that's not really even a problem, right? It's like it's a cool thing, but it's almost like you have to you have to build it around a problem. You have to think like, well, why is someone need to to see these notifications and how can we give them these notifications that makes whatever job they're trying to do with these notifications as easy as possible. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the, the problem is that what we often do is we, we build a square peg and then we try to fit it into a round hole. Right. Mm. And so what, as soon as you're in that position, uh, it's really, really hard. So, for example, I feel like I could probably take Network Effects, our SMS app, and I could probably go out and find a group that would pay for it. But it would be really hard, and it would take a lot of legwork. It would take a lot of trial and error. And you're basically making it exponentially harder for yourself, as opposed to saying, I understand this group or I understand this industry, and I know that the number one thing this particular you know, kind of person is struggling with is this. I'm going to build something around that way easier to, you know, build a business around that. I actually, there's a guy on, um, I just heard of this guy, I, I can't remember his name now, but he had an interesting tip for like how, how you can tell if, if someone is like into your idea is if they're nodding their head while you're describing it to them. So like if you say like, you know, you're at a cocktail party or a meetup and they say, hey, what are you building right now? And you go, oh, I'm building a notification engine for Stripe. It's like, okay, well, and I usually say that like the kiss of death for a business idea is someone saying, oh, that's cool or that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Because if they say that, it's like, okay, that's not the reaction what you want. What you want is them like nodding their head going, yes, like I just had this problem yesterday. Because that, then you can see that there's demand. And I, I, I don't think we understand, like, I try to imagine a real human being. Okay, let's take freelancers again. And let, let me just think of somebody I know that's a freelancer. Okay, so my friend Paul. I'm trying to imagine Paul now sitting at his desk in his home office and, you know, tearing out his hair because of a problem. What would that problem be that would make him reach into his wallet, take out his credit card, and pay for something. Because that's what it is at the human level. It, 
at the human level, a software business is real humans taking out their wallets and putting in their credit card numbers. And, you know, software developers are in this amazing position where they have the ability to create anything really they want. It's unbelievable. It's like one of the best superpowers you could have. And a big message of my book is that marketing is actually way easier for a software de developer to learn uh, than it is for a marketer to learn programming. Sure. And if you can combine the both, you basically, you become unstoppable. And it's actually, it's not that hard once you kind of force yourself to learn the principles and force yourself to be disciplined when you're, you know, looking for your business idea. If you force yourself to say, I'm going to go after a real group of people with a real problem and I'm going to target the number one thing in their life and then I'm going to build to that pain. I mean, you're, you, you've basically, there's nothing that could stop you at that point. Uh, I, there's other kind of complexities with running a software business, but... Yeah, it, it is completely possible for software developers to learn those skills and um, build a little side business or, you know, maybe even be lucky enough to build a full-time software business. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank our first sponsor of the episode, and that is Laracasts. So Laracasts is a de facto community and educational resource for PHP developers of all skill levels, covering all sorts of topics in the web application development space, from uh, getting started with frameworks like Laravel to building complex user interfaces with JavaScript frameworks like Vue.js and React. I think there's over 700 videos on there right now which is over 120 hours of content. And Laracast actually has a special offer for Full Stack Radio listeners, where if you sign up with the coupon code FULLSTACK2016, all one word, all caps, you actually get 50% off of your first month. So you can get access to 120 hours of content for under five bucks, which is pretty awesome. And I think uh, once you check it out, you'll be hooked. It's probably the best $9 a month that I spend. I always find new stuff there to learn, and it's kind of my go-to resource for any new topic that I'm trying to learn. I'm always hoping that Jeffrey has done a video on something because he does such a great job teaching this material. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely check out Laracast.com and use the special full stack 2016 coupon code to give it a try and get your first month for 50% off. Thanks, Laracast, for sponsoring the show. What would you say is like the most important thing developers need to learn about marketing? So people first, not code first. The, the first thing you have to do is go and hang out with people, talk to as many people as you can, listen to as many people as you can. That is the most important thing. Second most important thing is that 90% of marketing is product. So if your product is in demand, if your product is um, desirable, that solves a lot of your marketing problems. <laughs> and uh, it's not enough to create something that people kind of want. It's not enough to create an MVP that just kind of works. It really is like almost the biggest hurdle you have to cross is building something people want and building something that is good enough that people will really want to use it. So would you say like the best way to kind of build an audience for a product is to figure out a way to have people who want the product before it's even ready sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, that's one way to validate whether you, you're onto something. Uh, you know, I guess like what I'm, what I'm thinking is like for me when I... So say you go to some landing page for some SaaS application or something, right? And and say you're working on your own product and you're you're trying to see like what are, what are other people doing? What are other people saying? That's like convincing people to kind of buy something. I'm wondering mm -hmm. is that is that a real thing that happens? Like does someone just stumble across a landing page for a product they've never heard of and just buy it that day? Like does that happen as often as going there because you already know about it from somewhere else or, you know, what is that kind of like journey like? Like, sure. Yeah. So I talk about this too in the book. I say there, every purchase definitely has a timeline. Um, and that's everything from, so with remote workers club, the timeline looks like this. Somebody gets a remote job and then something happens that gets them scared. So maybe there's layoffs at their company Maybe um, they get a bad sales report. Maybe their boss is like really rude to them and stresses them out. Something happens that makes them think, you know what? I need to find another remote job. So that's part of the timeline. There's this initial trigger that, you know, makes that starts the wheels in motion, right? 
And it probably takes a number of triggers before they actually feel like, you know what, I need to find a solution to this problem. So right now, remote workers, there's a landing page. If you go to remoteworkers.club, there's a landing page that says, you know, this is something we're going to be building. Sign up here for the waiting list. 400 people have put in their email addresses. And each of those people, it, this was not the first time they'd thought of this, you know, of like, this is not the first time they'd encountered the problem. Mm-hmm. They had been, they'd been struggling with the problem. They found this landing page and they said, finally, somebody's doing something about this problem. And they put in their email address because they're like, I will even wait for this. I just can't wait to get into this. And there was further validation because people would reply to those welcome messages and tell uh, Marty and I, my partner, Marty and I, when are you going to do this? I really want, I want to be first. Like I'm, I'm ready to pay the $99 right now. So we knew that we were onto something. And in this case, we knew that we'd stumbled upon something that was a top of mind problem. Something that didn't just like, it's not like, um, a lot of consumer apps are things that we don't realize we need until we see them. But in a, whenever there's like your career or your business involved, often those are problems that are, you know, have taken root a long time ago. So to answer your, your question, what you're testing with the landing page is, yes, is this something that people are thinking about every single day and maybe have been thinking about for weeks or months or years? Um, that's what you're testing for. And uh, again, with marketing for developers, what I hit on there was a nerve. The nerve was, I've built my thing. Now what? How do I get customers? Yeah. Or an even better nerve with marketing for developers says, I, I've tried three times to build and launch my own products and all of them have failed. So what am I doing wrong? Right? Yeah. Uh, so once you identify those nerves and you can put them on a landing page and see how people react to them, that is part of the, the validation. You, you're figuring out, okay, am I onto something here? And uh, yeah, usually there's some history to those feelings. Right on. So, I mean, it sounds like the most important thing is to start doing your marketing before, you know, the thing is ready and you're looking for people to sell it to. Kind of like you're saying, like, don't don't build something and then look for a hole that it fits in. Like, find the hole and build something for the hole. And uh, yeah. that's uh, will solve a lot of your problems. But, you know, mm-hmm. even after you're done building something, you still need to do some sort of marketing, right? Wh- wh- yeah. Whatever that means, like whatever different strategies people might use to do it. Um, I'd be curious on, like, what your opinions are and what kind of the most effective uh, marketing strategies are you know, once you already have the product and you're trying to grow it and kind of find um, uh, new customers for it um, Mm -hmm. and what you found, you know, hasn't worked or what works in certain situations, just kind of how you feel about that stuff in general. Sure. So this is what everyone wants to know. They want like sexy tactics for acquiring new customers. (laughs) And I I realized this. So 50% of my book is about this. But the reason that the first 50% of my book is about choosing the right audience and then building the right product for that audience is that It gets a lot easier if you choose the right group of people and then you build something, the right thing for that group of people. So let me just back up one step and give you an example about plumbers. Sure. So you could target plumbers. I would not target plumbers, one, because I'm not in that group, but two, because they they do not congregate online. And a a lot of the like starting a business is basically figuring out how can I maximize all of my strengths, all of my even like situational strengths so that I maximize my chances of winning, right? It's kind of like, it's it's like if you're going to build a software, a new software project, you wouldn't like, if you wanted to do it really efficiently and build it as solid as possible, you wouldn't start with a brand new programming language you'd never used before, Sure. right? You want to maximize your chances of winning. And one way to maximize your chances of winning is to choose a group that is easy to access online. And the, the kind of litmus test for this, uh, or one litmus test is, is there a subreddit <laughs> for that group? And like, there is a subreddit for plumbers, but I think it's like something like, weird or perverted or something like that. (laughs) Uh, But plumbers don't like go to Reddit and hang out in a group online. But designers, man, there's like designer subreddits, there's designer news, there's 99U, there's like all of these places where they hang out online. And you might be seeing why that would be advantageous because those are channels. So much of marketing is finding efficient channels to 
you know, tell people about this thing you've created. And if I built software for plumbers, my most efficient channel is opening up the yellow pages and calling every plumber in the yellow pages. Now you could do that for sure, but one way to maximize your chances of success is to choose a group that's already online that is easy to access. Now, the disadvantage of that is that people, other people have realized this and there's, there can sometimes be a lot of competition, right? Yeah, I've heard like, um, I've I chatted with the other people in the past about like, as a developer, most of the problems that I notice are developer problems, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like this cycle of hell problem because every other developer notices the same problems and they have the same skills that I do. So they go and solve those problems and there's just, there's a lot of competition in the you know, developer tools space and stuff like that. And, you know, as a group, we're also really likely to jump onto the new next greatest thing all the time, trying out different things. So it's kind of a, I definitely see what you're saying with that problem of like, you know, when you really play to your strengths that way, sometimes you might find yourself in like a saturated channel. Yeah. But there is a lot more opportunity than people kind of give credit for. Um, Like as a developer, you actually have a lot of kind of groups or spheres that you're in, one would be, yeah, one audience could be other developers. Uh, Even within that group, though, there is a a big range. Like, are you going to target brand new developers? Are you going to target senior developers? Are you going to target independent developers that are making their own thing? Are you going to target developers that are working for somebody else? Are you going to target team leads? Are you going to target, you know, people working on open source projects? Like, there is a lot of niches within that group. Mm -hmm. The other thing you have is the industry that you're currently working in. So, you know, if you've worked uh, a ton with uh, PBX systems to do like, uh, you know, IP-based phone phone calls, well, you've probably noticed tons of problems in that industry that you could solve. If you've been building software for the hotel industry for 30 years, that would be a great place for you to look as well. So it doesn't always have to be your group of peers. Sometimes it can be the industry you're in or the kind of career experience that you have as well. And re- you also have to remember that because developers are on the forefront of everything new, like Josh Pigford with Bear Metrics saw that there's a, this wave of Stripe coming, right? And he was the first one to offer metrics on top of Stripe. The reason he was the first one because he was a software developer and he was noticing the trend. It's like, whoa, wait a second. All my friends are using this. Oh my God, this is really changing. People aren't asking to use Braintree anymore. Everybody's using Stripe. But the public hadn't realized this. The general business world hadn't realized mm-hmm. this yet. So he was able to jump on it before anybody else. Uh, you know, there's lots of uh, things that were built on top of Twilio early on Uh followed the similar pattern. So developers also have the chance to be early or first on emerging technologies. Uh, another one, I, my, my friend, uh, he, he owns a software company called Keynotopia, which allows you to do uh, mock-ups inside a key, uh, keynote. Mm-hmm. And he's just switched his whole business. Uh, he's, that, that business is going to keep running, but he just went and started a virtual reality agency because he's seeing the wave of VR and he's like, I'm going to bet on this because it's emerging and I could be first, you know, I could be the first virtual reality agency in Los Angeles and, you know, start building VR software for, you know, all these, uh, the local entertainment industry. So you really do have to be creative in your thinking. And one exercise you can do is you can just sit down with a pad of paper and say, okay, I'm going to write every single group I'm a part of. So mine would look like this. Product managers, podcasters, snowboarders, uh, solopreneurs, bootstrappers, um, web, webmasters. <laughs> you know, like I, I could just keep listing, you know, small business owners, speak, public speakers. Like I can just keep listing all of these groups that I'm in. And I could even like niche it down even more, right? Uh, authors, there's all these groups that I'm already in. Uh, yeah, another one I would write is um, I have a lot of experience in the email service provider industry because I worked with Mailout for a long time. I have a lot of experience in the project management industry because I worked with Sprintly. So I would list off all of these different groups that I'm a part of. 
And then I would say, okay, well, which one do I want to kind of explore a little bit more? And if you've been working with accountants for 30 years and you like working with them and you understand them, well, maybe it's time to like delve into that a little bit more and see if you can uh, see opportunities to solve their you know, number one problem at this current moment. You also have to realize that the number one problem at this current moment changes all the time. So the, the metrics on top of Stripe problem has been fixed, Yeah. right? Well, I'm assuming it's been fixed. Maybe it hasn't. <laughs> um, FreshBooks was very, very early in invoicing. And there's, you also have to understand too, like being first really helps, but there's other invoicing software as a service companies, you know, they, that sure. came after yeah. FreshBooks. But the, you know, invoicing for most companies is no longer a problem, but something else has replaced that as their number one problem. And those are the opportunities you want to look for, especially if you're hoping to be first, which gives you a huge advantage. Or if you just want to, like maybe someone else was first, but they're just doing a real garbage job at it. And that gives you the opportunity as a software developer to build something that's really great, that really solves that number one pain point for people. Just wanted to take another quick break to thank our second sponsor of the show, Rollbar. So one of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, of course, right? You know, either you rely on your users to report errors or you're digging through log files trying to figure out what went wrong, or maybe you're hooked up to an existing tool and you got millions of alerts flooding your inbox all day long. Uh, Rollbar is like a full stack error monitoring solution. And with Rollbar, you get the context, insights, and control that you need to find and fix bugs faster with a lot less noise. So Rollbar is really easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less. It works with all major languages and frameworks, including Ruby, Python, JavaScript, PHP, Node, iOS, you know, you get the picture. If you're a Laravel developer like myself, there's actually a package that you can use that integrates with Rollbar really quickly. I'm actually experimenting with it right now because I'm planning on switching uh, Nitpick CI, the SaaS app that I run over to Rollbar for my error handling. So in a future episode, maybe I'll give you an update on how that went, but so far experimenting with it has been uh, really fun and I've really been enjoying it. So Rollbar also integrates with a lot of different other tools, like it can send your errors to Slack or HipChat or create new issues in GitHub, Jira, and stuff like that. And uh, for full stack radio listeners, Rollbar actually has a special offer where if you sign up at rollbar.com slash full stack radio, you get access to their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So you get like 300,000 errors tracked for free. So give Rollbar a try, head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio to try out the bootstrap plan. And thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring the show. One thing that I actually did want to ask you about, uh, that has been something that I've been kind of battling in my head a little bit is I feel like as a developer, maybe, maybe it's not being a developer. Maybe it's something else about my personality, but I find that I'm hypersensitive to like really kind of any type of like sleazy sounding sales copy or whatever. Like you might see on like a long form landing page for like six minute abs or something. You know what I mean? I see sites like this and I, I wonder like, is this working like for anybody? And Everyone I talk to says that like in certain industries that definitely a hundred percent works. So as a developer being hypersensitive to that stuff, sometimes I wonder if I'm downplaying like my own stuff too much and not selling it hard enough. Um, is this a problem that you've thought much about or, or have opinions yeah. on? Yeah. I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> uh, so another huge, huge trend with software developers is an aversion to marketing and sales. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I think that we've all met sleazy salespeople and sleazy marketers. And those experiences sometimes color the way we see that whole kind of action. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like, ah, oh. and, and a lot of time a lot of this is like embedded in like the whole history of software development where initially, you know, sales and marketers kind of ran the show and they were kind of these you know, a type alpha dogs that, you know, were not very nice people to work with. And they were often kind of jamming requirements, uh, you know, down a developer's throat or coming to them with last minute things or over promising clients. And then, the, you know, the poor developer has to like build those things uh, as fast as they can. So I think a lot of it is our experience just with like working with um, kind of working with people that were unsavory in the past. 
Um, often, also, I think a lot of the marketing and sales we remember are the negative experiences, right? Sure. We remember that like real sleazy sales call. We remember that spam email. We remember that landing page that didn't make us feel good. And really, like a big part of my message of the book is, if you have connected with a group of people and you genuinely are seeking to help them and understand them, and you come up with a solution. There's nothing wrong with you telling people that you have a solution, and really, that's all marketing is. Marketing is just communication. Now, there's bad ways to do that, right? There's ways to trick people. There's ways to make people feel, you know, oversell and underdeliver. But when you're running your own business, you really get to decide how you're going to do that. And,、um, you know, like one thing with my book is I offer a hundred percent refund guarantee within thirty days. So if you Buy the book, and you don't like it, and it, you really feel like it's not for you. I will refund your money, and that、uh, kind of puts me at ease. It's like I'm I'm okay with communicating to developers that I have a solution to their problem, and if they don't like it, I'm completely fine with you know giving them their money back. So yes, there is a lot of kind of unsavory marketing.、Uh, what's unsavory is, of course, like. Also in the eye of the beholder,、um, but I think you know certain people. I think Marco Arment is a good example of this. Like Marco has very strong feelings about、uh, email marketing, for example. Okay.、Um, if you listen to his podcast, he's not he he does not like the idea of building up an email list and sending people newsletters and and things like that. But on the other hand, he's completely fine with. You know, reading sponsored ads on his podcast, which someone else might have a huge problem with. So everyone gets to kind of decide what their line is. And、um, I can tell you, for example, that email really does work. And if you do it well, and you are treating your audience with respect,、um, it is a good way to communicate the value of your product. It's a good way to help people without them having to pay you anything in the beginning, right? And build trust.、Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's unsavory ways of getting an email address, but those people will, won't buy from you if you're if you're disrespecting them. But if you treat people with respect, if you're solving a legitimate need,、um, then I, I don't think we need to worry about it. And I think we can kind of just like there is also unsavory developers out there.、Um, there's unsavory sales and marketing people, but we don't have to concern ourselves with them if we're running our own business. We get to decide. What we think is moral and ethical and effective. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really good advice. I think,、uh, you know, when it comes to like writing marketing copy and stuff, I, ha- I have the same problem with like writing in general. I think, and I think a-, a lot of people do, is for some reason like you're naturally inclined to. Your brain is telling you to like write something in this style that you think something's supposed to be written in, and it,、mm-hmm. it feels really unnatural and really hard. So, like, if you're trying to write some sales copy, you know, it feels like you're trying to write whatever the sales copy that sticks out in your memory is that you remember,、yeah. you know, from somewhere else. Like, do you have any tips for、um, having the voice that you want to have when you're working on,、uh, you know, a landing page marketing copy or anything like that? Totally, yeah. Uh, first thing is don't talk about yourself. Talk about the audience. So the first thing, r- really, I spend almost all my time on heading one, subtitle, and maybe the first line and the button. So H one, who is this for and what's their problem? Subtitle, here's the solution and why you should care. Button, here's the way you can act right now on that. And so. When you that's that's the most people talk too much about themselves. They talk about their company. They talk about you know the impressive technology they've built, and nobody cares. All they care about, people care about, is their own problems. And if you can、uh, tell a group of people that you understand their problem better than they understand it, they're going to listen to you. So a lot of it is just articulating the pain that you've been observing,、uh, doing all that research. And it, that that's that's like my number one writing advice. It's hard. It's not easy to do that. And you'll probably, you know, if you're good, you'll like always be tweaking、uh, that messaging.、Uh, as an example, for Remote Workers Club, the initially my hypothesis.、Uh, by the way, a lot of marketing、uh, really can conform to the scientific method. And so, if you are a rational thinker like that, like and most developers are. 
um, you can start thinking of each marketing project as a science experiment. So my initial hypothesis was that the number one pain point for remote workers was this anxiety that they might, be, they might lose their job and might not be able to get another one. I did a survey from the people that signed up for the waiting list initially, and I said, why are you most interested in remote workers? And the number one response was actually, I want to find a better remote job. So anxiety was down the list, but their number one issue was, I want to find a better remote job. And so that being the case, I changed my heading to, I think it's now, find the remote job of your dreams. Uh, and to me, that kind of targeted everybody. It targets the, the person that is like already working for somebody and you know, wants a better job. It's targeting the person that is looking for their first remote job. And so that, that's part of the process is like, yeah, just writing for the audience. Um, another tip is like to think of a specific person in that audience, like the actual a name of a real person, and then write your, your marketing copy as if you were just writing them a letter. Yeah, I've heard that one before. That one's actually really helped me uh, a lot in the past. Like, it forces you to not write weird things. You know what I mean? Like- yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And the other thing is to read out your your copy. So, as soon as you read it, you like you'll notice like the the like corporate-y, flowery language right yeah. away. You'll be like, "This is not my voice at all." Uh, if you're if you're interested in seeing someone who's really good at this. I would sign up for the High Rise newsletter uh, or look at what Nate Cotney has written on Medium. He just has a, such a unique voice, and it's very personal. Um, for example, his newsletters often have uh, a photo of his baby um, and or his wife, and he usually starts them by talking a little bit about his like family. Yeah. You know, hey, just went to the, you know, we just finished up our vacation and uh, whatever, you know, my son has a, a cold right now. And it just works for him. He's found this voice, this like authentic voice that resonates with people. And I, I think that actually brings me to the, the next thing I usually tell people, which is you want to be unique or surprising or unexpected in some way. So if you're if you read over your ma- your marketing copy or your newsletter copy, and you feel like you know what, there's nothing unique or surprising about this, then rewrite it because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to like wake people up. They they're they're going to look at you know 200 websites today, and just even think about your own browsing habits. The reason you visit a website is you're browsing Hacker News. And whatever headline jumps out at you, whatever is surprising or unique or unexpected, that's what you click on. Yeah. Right? And if you go to like on Hacker News, if you go to new and you see all the new submissions, you'll see right away why they're not getting upvoted. It's because like the headlines are boring or bland (laughs) or corporate or, you know, you can tell right away. So um, Derek Sivers has this great advice where he says, you know, if you're giving a talk or writing a blog post or whatever, just cut out anything that's not surprising. And I just love that. I think that's like such a great like mindset to be in when you're writing stuff. And obviously none of this is easy. Like if it was easy, <laughs> you know, no one would be like, you know, if it was easy, I wouldn't have a job, yeah. right? Like no one, no one would ever hire me. But if you practice this over and over again, and the nice thing is you can iterate on it and you can treat each iteration like a scientific experiment. Okay, I'm going to try this. And like, maybe you go overboard. Maybe people are like, whoa, that's like too surprising. You know, like that's like jarring. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try this approach and then see what the results are. So it's, it's something you definitely need to practice and work with over time. But to summarize, I would say, write for your audience, cut out anything that's not surprising. And yeah, just find your authentic voice, like find that, that voice that when you read it out loud, it sounds human and it sounds like you. Awesome. Well, I think that maybe is a good place to start wrapping it up. Is there uh, any closing thoughts that you wanted to leave uh, the audience with or anything that you wanted to maybe share or plug before we get going? You know, just one more thing. I think another trend I noticed with software developers is they're often scared to release things because they worry about criticism mm, quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, the best advice I can give for that is to, instead of trying to build something really big as your first project, start with something small. 
And that could even be just like, I'm going to write a blog post for this specific audience and see how it does. Or maybe you want to start smaller than that and write a tweet for this specific audience. <laughs> like start really small. And what that does is, first of all, it kind of like gets you going. Uh, so you'll like send out a tweet and be like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Um, and then you'll like do that again and again and again. And really where you get kind of get over that anxiety of shipping something and you know, being worried about the feedback you'll get is by doing it a lot. And so, yeah, that would be just like one more tip is to start with something small and just like practice a lot. Um, if people are kind of interested in like learning more about that, I write about that stuff all the time on uh, justinjackson.ca. That's my blog. And uh, if they want a sample chapter from the book, it's devmarketing.xyz or XYZ if you're in <laughs> America. Right on, man. Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually a, that is a really interesting topic. I know I am 100% guilty of that. Like, um, It comes down to the criticism thing for sure. And I even feel it also comes down to just being like afraid to take people's money for things like, you know, I made this, is there any way that this can be as good as like, you know, a real professional product out there and just kind of this whole, um, lack of confidence sort of problem that I think, uh, you know, kind of ties in with the whole imposter syndrome thing that you hear about a lot in the tech community as well. So, yeah. Yeah. The way to get over that is just to start small, start now and just keep practicing all the time. Right on. What's the best place for people to kind of keep up with what you're doing anywhere else besides your blog to check out or uh, anything else that you're up to that you want people to know about? Yeah. Uh, Megamaker.co is my podcast. It's 10 to 15 minutes long, uh, twice a week. I'm hoping to have an episode today. <laughs> and um, I'm on Twitter too. The letter M, the letter I, Justin. That's M-I, Justin. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on and having a chance to ask you these questions. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking about this stuff. Yeah, no, this was really great. I was in a grumpy mood before I got on this call and I'm I'm uh, feeling good now, Adam. So you, <laughs> you kind of you made my day. <laughs> right on. That's awesome. Cool, man. Well, uh, show notes of this episode are going to be found at fullstackradio.com slash 42. If you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that's always helpful. Thanks again to Laracast and Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast as always. And if you're interested at all in checking out the book and video course I put together, Refactoring to Collections, you can check that out at adamwathen.me slash refactoring dash two dash collections and you can use the coupon code full snack 2016 to get everything for 25 percent off just for the next couple days just to say thanks for supporting the show and being a listener of full stack radio thanks everyone see you next time